and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here in studio, joined as always by the 42.e's Murray Kinsella. Morning Murray, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Very good, thank you very much. And we're joined as well by a particularly silken-haired Andy Dunn <laughs> this morning. Andy, you're looking sharp. How are you? I'm great. I got my hair cut in a, a barber's in Cabra. Uh, oh yeah. Taking your life into your own hands. Ten minutes, less than ten minutes I reckon I was in and out. Uh, how much are we talking? Twelve euro. Absolutely delighted. That's a bargain. For what we're looking at here, that is a bargain. Well, you know. Yeah, you're looking sharp. Happy enough. I was talking to your friend um, Adrian Flavin there during the week and he said, remind him that he looks 55 when you see him. Which I didn't really get. I think you look young enough, actually. (laughs) How old are you, Andy? uh, I am 40 this year. I'm 39. I would have had you down as about 33. My knee is 56. Right. My eye wrinkles are about 56. <laughs> my my spirit and my heart's about 25, though. So. Yeah, yeah. And it's a podcast, so it doesn't matter what you yeah. think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coming up, we will gingerly look back on Leinster Saris. We've got an interview with Monster Captain Peter Romani, and we'll look ahead to what may now be the best of the rest showdown at the RDS this weekend, as well as Ulster's trip to Glasgow. We will be chatting as well about David Nusifora and what his new contract might mean for Irish rugby. And we'll also hopefully field a couple of your questions as well. But before we dig into uh, Leinster Saris, which will bring the tone down a notch, let's have some fun, guys. Uh, Conan O'Donnell from Sligo made a super rugby debut for the Sunwolves last weekend. And I want to ask you guys, um, firstly, about the other Irish players that have played Super Rugby. There are only a handful. And secondly, who of the current crop of Irish players would you like to see play Super Rugby? Who would blend in with the uh, style of play down south? Um, Murray, talk us through some of the guys that have been down there in the past, firstly. Well, first of all, really cool for him to make his Super Rugby debut, having mm. only arrived literally days before last weekend's match against the Brumbies. The, the Sunwolves in Japan... Did take a bit of a hammering, 33-0, but he got on and had about 15 minutes off the bench and he looked really dynamic, actually. Some good carries, got very close to scoring a try from close range um, and some nice tackles as well. So pretty cool and an amazing start for him, really. I think looking at social media, he's kind of caught up in the whirlwind of the last few weeks in his career. It looked like obviously leaving Connacht, it was going to be a tricky time, but now he's playing Super Rugby. Um, And he is kind of following a line of Irish front rowers, really, into into Super Rugby. Um, Jamie Hagan was obviously there with the Rebels. Tom Sexton was with the Rebels as well. Played with Western Force as well. Um, Andy shouted for Rory Murphy, who was Brumbies having come through. Exeter. He had gone from Exeter to Brumbies, yeah. Yeah, so we Seems have him. to be a penchant for, yeah. uh, for front rowers. It started with Peter Kloss. Yeah. He was the one who went down when he had that ban for he was snapping ba- on someone's head. Yeah. And he couldn't play in Europe. Yeah, he was banished, uh, I think, 94, was it 95? He stamped on Olivier Ruma and uh, got a 12-month ban, was vilified, you know, in the press as a monster. <laughs> and people get away with that stuff. You know, I suppose they don't anymore, but uh, they get what they get is a big ban that's reduced and reduced and yeah, reduced. 50% off. For good behaviour, yeah. Yeah, and we have um, Oli Yeager, obviously, at the moment with Crusaders, the tight head prop. Another front lower, yeah. Yeah, who's had an amazing journey, really. He went down basically of his own of his own accord to the kind of academy programme they have down there. He'd come through in Black Rock and, and played Senior Cup and, and won a cup. Um, but he's earned his way into the Crusader setup, which is obviously one of the best in the world. Mm. And uh, is getting Super Rugby caps not every weekend, but um, whenever they mix things up in their squad, he, he gets an opportunity and played against the Lions, obviously, in that uh, Provincial Barbarians team as well. I remember speaking to him after that and he was just blown away. He said, growing up, I, I always wanted to play for the Lions now and playing against them. It's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> and he has some great New Zealand mannerisms in his language as well. <laughs> it's a, it's amazing to see, like, you know, you hear the, the modern day uh, rugby players, you know, if they get offered more money or something, you know, I'm going away for the cultural, you know, this chit or you hear it in football as well, you know, yeah. it's the, the cultural changes and the challenges. But you can only imagine from Conan O'Donnell from Sligo going to play. Is it in Tokyo the Sunwolves are based? Yeah. Like that is going to change him and the cultural shift. And every, Nathan Spooner was was the Aussie out half that was, he was a brilliant out half in Leinster rugby back in 01. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of his understudy and he had come from a period in Japan and the stories he used to tell about you know they would they they are obviously a, the Japanese culture and there's a lot about honor and work rate and work ethic but often you know if they'd lost on the weekend they would train doubly hard for like twice the duration but players would 
refused to get on the team bus, they would run beside the team bus. So the, the Aussies and the Kiwis and the imports would be like, no, I'm getting on the bus. And, lads, <laughs> and the bus would drive slowly and the, the local Japanese lads would run beside the bus on the way back to the hotel to get extra work in. So like just huge differences in culture. I don't know if that still goes on at all, but I'm sure he's going to encounter some pretty interesting <laughs> Dynamics. Yeah, the 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 league over there itself outside of Super Rugby is is crazy as well because they obviously spend a lot of money on marquee players. But speaking to a couple of lads who've done that, they say much of the other squad members are actually working for the factory. Say yeah, they're employees like Toyota, Waters, yeah. Coca Cola, whatever, and they come from the factory a full day's work and then train, yeah, and go back and work again, which is just yeah. insane for the guys who come on big contracts and <coughs> kind of yeah. a bit guilty then. I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they. A couple of hundred grand gets them over. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I think it's cool to see O'Donnell playing yeah. and and seeing maybe the game open up a little bit that way. Even we were just talking about Jerry Sexton, Johnny's younger brother. He's going over to Southern Kings next season. That's obviously Pro 14 rugby, but the first Irish guy I can think of signing for a South African team, certainly on professional terms. Um, it seems to be opening up a little bit more and potentially people are seeing these opportunities and agents are probably realising actually Irish players are a pretty valuable commodity and like for want of a better word I can sell them elsewhere and I can get them contracts elsewhere you look at a guy like Sexton who uh, has worked really hard to get an opportunity like this in, in the top tier Pro 14 but he'll probably go over there and, and he can call line outs he's obviously got really good rugby intellect he's, he's like his brother he's obsessed with the game watches everything and he'll probably add a lot in that sense to the Southern Kings who you know I interviewed him and he said I was shocked that they wanted me because of the number of second rows they produce massive lumps but he can probably offer, offer something different which is that rugby IQ and I think in Irish rugby we have a lot of that now and we have a lot of attributes that are valuable elsewhere so I actually think it's great to see I think this is the way the game's going to go anyway kind of globalisation of it and hopefully it, it grows and grows and you, you see more guys getting opportunities It's brilliant and th there is a bottleneck in Irish rugby you know there, there's only 120 guys contracted and there's way more than 120 kids a year who have serious aspirations and are very close to the standard every single year. So where do they all go? You know, so it's great that we don't, um, well, they don't lose out uh, on, a on an opportunity as a professional career. The agents are obviously pretty, you know, cutthroat by nature. They're going to look for and seek out opportunities for these players who've hit that bottleneck. So they're going to capitalise on it. Um, it's worth, I would, you know, down the line, as you said, when the globalisation continues to happen and more and more players, you've got the Irish diaspora, are, are we going to continually say only we're only going to pick from the 120 mm. contracted guys? You know, if we want to be, we're, we're, we already punch well above our weight in terms of our, our uh, population, uh, you know, to be top, top of the, you know, top, I know New Zealand are roughly the same, but if, if England were ever to get their act together, they would, you know, they would destroy everyone in yeah. terms of playing numbers. So I wonder, will we, in time, will it evolve? Well, you see, in 15 years' time, there's players spread all out all, all over the globe and we would ignore them all, I don't know. Yeah, you see what's going on in South African rugby even increasingly. So even this week, Andre mm. Pollard and Creel leaving, they're the latest in a mass exodus. Now, that's obviously related to the Rand being so weak and yeah. essentially they just have to go and take these offers abroad. I think you'll probably even see younger guys, like we've seen maybe with Monsters Academy, even leaving at that stage. Yeah, That's the worry, I guess, but I suppose there are different economic factors involved in that. Um, so yeah, it is a little bit, bit different, but it, it's just fun seeing, a, as we said, O'Donnell playing Super Rugby and mm. kind of gets you thinking, who would you like to see from the Irish, maybe the Ireland squad, like Jordan Larmer is one that strikes me straight Larmer away. Larmer was my guy as well, that because was the one who, yeah. they, like, they just don't spend as footwork. much time in defence down there and his footwork doesn't really get a chance sometimes in, in yeah. games up here, yeah. where the defence is so good. I think he'd be bringing, I think Carberry and, and Carty games are suited to it, Caelan Blade, I'm thinking of backs. Yeah you know, explosive, you know, instinctive players, you know, that skill, high skill level. Um, they certainly seem to embrace that type. I'm trying, I'm, I'm thinking out loud of forwards, maybe. Fur Furlong, Furlong is the standard. Yeah. He'd Furlong. dominate, yeah. yeah. I mean, Kiwi props are kind of renowned for that, but he's, yeah. I think he's a level above yeah. most of those Kiwi props. And actually there was an interesting article in, uh, I think it was Stuff in New Zealand Online where they were talking about how they're worried about their props falling behind the Irish props around things like work rate and set piece and, and all that. But I think Furlong's skill level is actually better than those guys. We'll yeah. come on to why that's kind of disappointing about the Leinster game, but 
he'd be absolutely brilliant, I think. And Simon Zebo is another one who I think yeah. would just be yeah. box office down there. Celebrations yeah. plus amazing yeah. attacking skill. I was looking back on the even the Leinster Munster semi final last year that try he created for um, Keith Earls down the left, where yeah. it's just that glide across, drawing an edge defender. And I think his skills would be even more valuable because defensively, they just don't spend as much time. You speak to all yeah. the guys who come up and they say they couldn't believe it. Even JP Ferreira, the Munster defence coach, he's like loving it up here because they actually spend a considerable yeah. amount of time working yeah. on the defence. So yeah, I think Zebo would probably tear it up. Yeah. Okay, we've had our fun. Let's look at <laughs> Let's Leicester. Back to the misery. <laughs> back, to, <laughs> back to the desolation of uh, last weekend. Um, it's been analysed to death now, in fairness, and I don't know if we need to scrutinise every uh, infinitesimally minute detail of it, but in a kind of a wider context to begin with, uh, the fact that Sarri's won well in the end, does it mean that Leinster are actually a little bit further off than we thought? I might ask you firstly, Andy, or was it just a case that a few key moments went awry at crucial stages? Um, I, I totally do not buy in to the whole, like, Saris are, you know, they're way ahead or they've, you know, they definitely have more strength and depth. They have a bit more money. Um, I think in the cold light of day, Leinster would be very, very annoyed Afterwards, they'll watch back. Um, definitely, okay, the the obvious, well-documented ones, Luke McGrath's box kick uh, not going out, and then Ringrose's overlap. Uh, I think Ringrose has had a couple of poor games, unfortunately, but like he is a, he is a brilliant, you know, international quality, you know, among any international peers, he's, he's, a, he's a brilliant 13. Um, he's been brilliant for Ireland and Leinster. I think he's he's at a little dip. Interestingly, actually, in, in I think in his execution of his skills as well. Um, but I think, in reality, it might sound like a gross oversimplification, but um, you can do three things with a rugby ball. You can pass backwards. It's advisable that you run forwards, or you can kick. That is it. You cannot do no matter what way the complexities of the game are arranged and, and preset plays. At any given time, they're the only three things a player can do with the ball. And watching Leinster, which I was surprised and also frustrated with, was just like they took one of those options away. They never they never really kicked at all. Johnny Johnny put in one um nearly a mistimed execution of a of a bomb. And it wreaked havoc. Um, other than that, they did a, they did the usual box kicks, which had pretty awful results. Um, even though, okay, it worked three years ago or whatever. It's it's, I'm, I'm ranting again, but it's dead. It's, Andy. it's a it's dead in the water as a tactic. It has to stop. But it was it's been persisted with. But if if to go back to my my I suppose my simplification, you, it's it's the reality is you can only do three things with the ball at any given stage no one can do anything else when they have the ball except one of those three things and it's like we've taken one of them away so one third of your armory as a player in terms of the decisions you can make seems to have just been taken away so there were there were many many occasions watching watching that game again easy up in the stand there was acres of space they were defended with one guy in the backfield you start kicking into that backfield whether it's a chip kick a, a corner kick a wipers kick a bomb, a grubber, any of the above puts some doubt in the Saris defence. However, Leinster ran as hard as they could into the best defence in Europe on repeated occasions. And if you watched, if you asked a horse to run into a wall that many times, you would say this is cruelty to animals. It would be an outcry. You're watching forwards getting up off the ground, run around the corner and run as hard as you can into the best defence in Europe. And then that ring rose pass I mentioned, the, the execution, he hit it behind Conan. Conan had to stop in his tracks, got absolutely smashed in that midfield channel. That raises the intensity for Saracens, the, the feel-good factor, the, you know, the, the wolf pack mentality, which kind of nauseates me. But, you know, like that, that kind of thing, they, they, they love it. Then the next play, Leinster on the back foot, they try and run it again. Johnny Sexton gets a delayed pass. He gets smashed. And you're watching them kind of 
flirting with disaster between the two 10 metre lines of the pitch, not really going anywhere, bringing Saris into the game more and more and no option to kick the ball. And it's just, it's, it doesn't mean Saris are way ahead. It just means Leinster played into their greatest strength for large periods of the match instead of just doing something different, which is, to me, as a simple fix. But, I, I, you know, it's not the only answer by any stretch. But to take away or detract one third of your armoury when you've got a ball in your hand is seems to me a bit silly. Mm, yeah, I think Saracens did. For me, they delivered the best club performance of the season of anyone. I thought it was excellent, but I'd, I, I would agree with you around Leinster. I, I don't think they went out with the game plan or intention just to run into shoulders. I think actually in the first two possessions, Johnny Sexton was an advantage. He tried a diagonal little chip. Mm. Vunapola blocked it down. This very second possession, Larimer tried a grubber down the right-hand side, but it kind of got blocked low down. Mm. And for some reason after that, they went away from those kick tactics. Yeah. It was almost as if they were dissuaded by two early fails, for want of a better word. And I think when they got into the... The, the physicality was incredible. I, I can't remember a club game like it. And I think when they got into that, it was almost blinding. They almost felt, we have to beat these guys physically because they're so powerful... They can run over us. We've got to do the same. And and you think of a number of, even even actually the first box kick, they actually won it back. Liam Williams yeah, yeah. let it go to ground and Johnny Sexton raced onto it. Now they're suddenly in this completely broken up situation. Really good opportunity to even go one-on-one with a defender. James Ryan comes onto the ball and just thunders into a shoulder. Doesn't even look for a pass. Yeah. Even though there's not a major overlap, it's a chance to, to really test it, uh, the defence in transition. You think of actually before the Tyke Furlong try, off the back of the scrum, where Jack Conan picks and carries. It was a really incredible tackle from Owen Farrell, actually. Stops him on the try line, basically. But there was actually a, a couple of metres space inside Owen Farrell, where if mm. if Conan had used his footwork, which normally Lenser are so good at, he possibly could have scored or definitely would have gotten offload. And it was just remarkable that even when they decided to be very direct... They didn't use that footwork. They didn't yeah. actually get a good carry in. You know, you heard them after the match talking about, oh, we couldn't get quick ball. Saracen's defence was exceptional. But one of the ways you get quick ball, and I know it's easier to say than actually dealing with George Cruz thundering up and smashing it, yeah. is to use that footwork that they possess or use that tip on. They I have think it, it took yeah. 35 minutes until Tyg Furlong tipped one on and he was probably the only player who was really doing that. I think he only had two or three of them, but... Mm. There was just, even in the carry, there was a lack of variety because it was literally just thundering into contact. I, I feel like it just was blinding that that physicality and trying to win that element of the game and, and everything suffered from that. Um, now, that's something that happens in the pressure of a final. Um, but I think they will have regrets about, about how that went. We definitely need to give great praise to Saracens. I thought their performance was brilliant. And I, while it was very physical, I think they used it in a smart way even think of their first, very first attack of the game. Um, Brad Barrett takes the ball very direct off the line out. He mm. wins that first collision, which was a big part of it. Sean, he beats Sean O'Brien in the contact and Cronin yeah. can't really get a shot on either. They're over the game now. But then the next phase, they run a, a two-man pod just around the corner, but they skip across that to Vunapola in a wider position so he can run, I think it was Sex and Henshaw, against backs. So he's immediately against backs. And on the next phase... While they're setting up the third phase, you can see Farrell shouting for a realign to the left. They set up on that side as if they're going to bounce back. Uh, Alex Goode is also pointing left. Instead, they go right and they uh, put a uh, Spencer passes between two forwards, a kind of tunnel ball to Goode. And then Liam Williams is completely one-on-one where they're kind of... Um, um, it's James Lowe. He's not ideally set up to defend and he beats him on the inside shoulder, line breaks straight away. So even though that was quite direct, it was really intelligently done and allowed someone like Williams into a one-on-one after Alex Goo gets on the ball with, with nice bit of space. I thought that was really intelligent. I thought that was how they did it all day. Realistically, Lencer were very lucky not to be further behind after 30 minutes. I think Saris had five visits into the 22 and got no points at all. They were a little bit profligate in that sense. Um, and really their performance is outstanding. I think they were... I think they delivered their best on the biggest day of the season but as we said Leinster will have those regrets about yeah, I just showing think, what they're capable of yeah they are it's not like they don't have it in the locker and like they played they played into the Saris strengths so yeah. Saris Saris did not have a they didn't do anything of, of you know that, that took your breath away just well sorry I'll, I'll rephrase that their physicality was fairly breathtaking 
at all times. Mm. And so, but but Leinster ran in to the to the literally jumped into the frying pan. They were like running into the core of their greatest strength on repeated occasions. And you know, the it, it happens all the time. I suppose in in huge pressure situations is can you step outside of it in the heat of battle and realize okay is it is it smart to keep doing this like you you want to take a fight to people you don't want to run away but there's an element of let's maybe not go to their strength let's look to try and pick off some of their weaknesses and i there are trends you see at like the the England Ireland game England had, it was roughly, I can't remember the exact figures, but something like 45 versus nine um, dominant tackles, I think, it, yeah. roughly. Yeah. In the, and I think very, very similar stat in the European final. Um, but, you know, you have to run in to the core of their strength in order to check that out. Are you going to have, why, why, why do that in the first place? You know, why not, like I said, if, if as you mentioned, a couple of early kicks, their defence became disorganised and broken and fractured. And if you, the more times you do that, the less likely it is you're going to run into this collision zone. And mm. I think probably they could concede maybe even before the game, they weren't going to win the collision battle. Maybe they felt they could. Mm. But why not? Like, it's okay to, to concede you're not going to win the physical collision battle and still win a rugby match. Yeah, and you, you saw the very first line out. They actually, there was an element of that really clever dummy. That was so smart. The and there you go. It's instantly... It completely in disarmed series. Like, can you com, can you further compound that doubt in their minds? Um, yeah. Interesting that you mentioned the skill execution bit. I, I thought the passing was inaccurate again. It was. It was. a bit of an issue, even for Ireland. Certainly in the Six Nations, yeah. the passing quality was poor. And we see the negative effects of it. You mentioned that Jack Conan example where Ring Rose's pass is off, up above his head. Well, it's certainly if you're, if you're going to eliminate one third of your options as a generally as a group, we're, we're kicking the ball way less than most teams now um, in Irish rugby. Certainly in general play and the type of offensive kicks we make, we're doing less than ours. So if you're going to just rely on taking it into contact and passing, your passing has to be exceptional and the passing has faltered. So therefore, you seem to meet, I mean, you're meet, the Leinster were meeting the Saracens' defence right at their kind of point of, of, their preferred point of contact. Saracens loving hit, hitting a guy one, two uh, channels out from the where the pass happens with that rush defence, smashing a guy behind the gain line, breaking up, the offensive plan so um, yeah there, there were I, I really don't think there's a significant gap between both teams I think there was just an execution problem and potentially a tactical problem that Leinster I think will come away from and be really annoyed about hmm. and Saracen's passing was excellent again yeah. because, because of the physicality it's so hard it's so easy to overlook other things and intelligent things they bring like mm. the, we mentioned before Sex and Farrow was always going to be dominating the headlines but maybe good and whoever Leinster's second playmaker was going to be would be as influential. And, and that proved the case. Alex Good, I thought, was arguably the most important player on the pitch because it was so hard for Leinster to get a read uh, in phase play because he kind of just flits in. He almost has a free roll. He'll glide across. Even if Farrell is standing at first receiver, he'll just glide in in front of him. Farrell will drop back. He'll organise the next couple of phases. You saw for the try, beautiful pass from, from Farrell under pressure from Larmer jumping up. But... Good's arrival in just inside Farrell at a late stage makes it really difficult for Leinster defenders. They kind of bite in slightly. Henshaw kind of hesitates. He's looking into to Alex Good, and then Larmer's drawn in as, as a result on the edge. Um, and even if you think of Farrell kind of knocking the ball on, it hit his chest, really hard pass from Spencer. He'd arrived in late as that first receiver and there was a little bit of space in front of him. So the way the, those two guys worked in tandem was really interesting. And I think that's a, a massive part for a rugby now. As a whole, you've seen the All Blacks with Barrett and McKenzie trying to have that model because against defences that are so well organised and so aggressive, you've got to have that mm. slight element of unpredictability of, of being able to play both sides or even having two playmakers on the same side. I thought that was really... Uh, I think it's just been a, a great bit of foresight from, from Mark McCall and Saracens and they probably don't get the credit for those elements of their play as well, which I think are really excellent. Yeah. I, speaking of them not getting the credit, 
I probably personally overlooked them a little bit going into this one. I thought Leinster would win, but even going back to the semi-final, we were fairly harsh on Munster losing that semi-final against Saracens. Now, they were different types of games, and Andy, you might think that Saracens aren't actually that far ahead of Leinster, but we have to acknowledge, obviously, there was quite a comprehensive victory in the end. Like, mm. Leinster went 60-odd minutes without scoring. Does it put the semi-final into a little bit of a kinder context for Munster, given what we saw Saracens do in the final. Like, we were, we <laughs> crucified Munster for being blunt and not really having any coherence yeah. in attack. And we watched Leinster, the reigning European champions, and a better team than Munster basically fall into a similar trap. Yeah, it does. I think it does put it into perspective that Saracens' quality of defence makes attack... Uh, harder for sure and, and execution becomes harder because you've less time on the ball to execute but uh, you know good like the same way Liverpool and Man City defend with a high press and put people under pressure to make decisions and stay calm um, they do I suppose they they know what's coming prior to the game it's not a surprise so they've got to I think I think both sides lacked creativity in Munster in, in their game against Saris and Leinster um, Leinster certainly did I think and it, they didn't lack um, effort the, the physical effort is it's just more and more compelling every week They're, it's incredible to watch the bravery so it's it's probably it sounds very easy to criticise you know sitting in the stands when you just look almost you know the kind of heroic efforts teams are putting in and certainly both Irish teams never flinched the physical challenge but I think there's got to be a shift towards more creativity in Irish rugby. You know, a little less physical. There's no harm to to walk away from physical battles once in a while. Like sometimes, you know, Floyd Mayweather never got hit. He's still a world champion. Do you know what I mean? So like, you can avoid. We just keep. We seem to persist with. You know, we got to take on the battle. You know, on the front foot, win collisions. It's all about winning collisions and rucks. And I was out with my mates, two kids last night. Uh, he asked me to just to have a bit of fun, do a bit of kicking practice with them. And I kind of said tongue in cheek. So what are you guys doing training most days? Is it rucking practice? And they both went, yeah. And I was <laughs> like, it's pretty crestfallen because that's what they're doing. So um, I just think we need to we need to look at you know we've 120 players we've lots of great coaches we have great resources we've great education system we we but we're not embracing creativity and um, we not I don't think we're focused enough on our skills which you look at Jerry Flannery and Felix I think coming back from New Zealand they can't unsee what they saw they saw a coaching system and a playing system that is, as they said, embarrassingly simple. Because what they're, they're focused on, and they are the best team in the world for a reason, because they're the most skillful. It's not because they keep running into contact. Now, they're well able to win collisions, but they have, they have way less collisions because they're running into space and they've got high skill level. If we, if we went towards that model, I think we get right back to the top in world rugby very, very quickly because the capacity is there. And even the Jack Conan example coming off the scrum, slow motion's a real pain in the ass sometimes, you know, because it doesn't, you watch it in full speed and you watch it in slow motion. But when Jack picks off, he's the pace to get around and he runs directly into contact and inside Farrell, if you do the old freeze frame, which again, like I said, is a pain in the ass because it looks easy. There is about four yards of space inside him where if he came off his right foot, there's a, probably more than 50 or 60% chance he's going to just score without someone laying a mm. finger. And I, that's a, that's not that Jack can't do it. I coached Jack in all Belvo when he was 18, 19. He's got an amazing skill set. Yeah. I think so it's a mindset. Point. It's a mindset then. But is it a mindset that... Um, a mindset that develops within the game more so than generally speaking like does it become uh, almost a dick measuring contest basically where you fall into the trap of having to win the collision and trying to send the other team backwards and, and almost achieving at least physical parity before you can kind of continue with, I, with the rest of the game I think there's an element to that I think there's an element of you know you know, you draw a line in the sand. If you don't win the physical battle, forget winning the game. And the old story that the forwards win, the forwards decide if you win the game and the backs decide by how much. That's a bit redundant now because you need forwards to have skill level. I think if you can be adequate in the physical exchanges and have a greater execution 
of your skill level and be creative, you have just as much a chance. I think the baseline does not always need to be you have to win the physical collisions at all stages in order to be successful on the field. And I also um, just haven't been in professional rugby for 10 years. You know, when you look at the likes of Klopp or you look at Guardiola, and I know they're, they're brilliant coaches, they're very disciplined people, they're leaders, but there seems to be a spark of creativity in some of them that seems to be just lacking in 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 coaching, in a lot of rugby professional coaching. It seems to be a very dull, joyless environment at times. Um, there's nothing wrong with creativity. People can get suspicious of it because you're not winning collisions. But that's... that's that's where I'm coming from. I don't know if you agree, Murray, as a former yeah. forward. <laughs> we know all about the type, type five play. Um, I, yeah, I think just in terms of this game and contextualising where it is, like Leinster did bully a lot of teams physically and they can bully a lot of teams physically. They That's one of their strengths. They've done it really well this season at other times. That's, sometimes that's a good strategy. It wins them games. That's what they wanted. That's what they got to do. Um, but I do think even in something as simple as your carry, you can have skill and creativity even if you're going to carry into contact Definitely. you can have a, a tip on or you can have that bit of footwork that we mentioned I don't think I don't think you can just play wide every single time that's, I, that's not I, the reality of it either and I know you're not I'm saying not that I'm not saying that yeah. I, know, I know you're not saying that but I think running into shoulders is probably the most disappointing part of that performance from Leinster because they have more than that we talk about skill level in New Zealand I think loads of that Leinster team have that skill level Conan we saw it against uh, Ulster that unbelievable try he set up yeah. Furlong can do it I think James Ryan can do it when he's pushed that way a bit more. I think they all have, I mean, he's well able to offload. There are loads of guys in that team who can play and Ring Rose's skill level is great as well. I, I don't I, I don't know why the passing level has dipped. Mm. It's hard to put your finger on when you're not in the group and whether they have, haven't worked on that as much or players getting too uptight or thinking about other things. But that's been a little bit disappointing to see that dip. Um, I do think the skill level is there though. I think... They're, they're more than good enough to compete. They've shown that with the best teams in the world and, and play a skillful game. So I think it was a, a disappointing day, but it wouldn't be all doom and gloom. No, certainly not. Now, with 130 days to go, Heineken Ireland on Wednesday kickstarted the countdown to the Rugby World Cup in Japan. Uh, official world, worldwide partner to the tournament once again, Heineken welcomed the Webb Ellis Cup to Dublin, where Ireland's Peter Romani and Scotland's John Barkley came together to discuss their upcoming battle because they face each other in Pule at this year's tournament. Of course, uh, the 42's own Sean Farrell caught up with Peter Romani and started by asking Peter why he's so interested in gardening. My grandmother lives in actually Cork City. She's a very small little garden there. I used to look after that when I was younger. I used to love it. Um, my dad's mum ha- had a lovely house in Douglas that had a fabulous garden and I used to do a bit of work there and my uncle used to have a, a little plot in West Cork uh, that he used to love going down to and eat uh, vegetables and a few animals and stuff and used to love going down there and spending time down there and doing a bit of work there on top of our home garden at home. Um, so look, uh, I've always loved the outdoors. Uh, I wouldn't be a huge man for um, for hanging around inside in the house. Um, I enjoy getting out there, and it's uh, you know it's good for the mind. I think you know to get away from things. Um, you know you can uh, you can kind of lose yourself and lose the thoughts for step away from the thoughts anyway for for a short period and um, and enjoy yourself and you know just be in the moment. Yeah, as you say, it's vital to ease off the pedal, and some guys have. Have, I think Keen Healy has his knives. Some guys have. Uh, Damien Varley had guitars, didn't he? Yeah, and, he did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's important for it to have that time away so that you're not all hundred miles an hour rugby yeah. all week, every week. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Yeah, look, it's it's massive. Um, I'd feel very strongly on it. It's uh, you know, it's uh, the game we're in can be all encompassing. Um, you know, you've you've pressure from lots of angles and. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a results-run business, and you know, can get on top of guys. Um, you know, and some guys struggle big time with the, uh, you know, with the stresses that that it does give you, and um, just to have whatever outlet as you've named there, you know, just to take your mind off things is is hugely important. Yeah, um, quite. Like, what sort of stuff do you grow? We've seen your your, your lawn take shape. What what 
do you have crops or flowers or how deep um, into it are you yeah I'm, I'm i'm getting there it's 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 a work in progress all the time um but uh i'm, I'm adding away to it most weekends that i get a, f- a couple of hours to to get new bits and taking stuff out and putting stuff in all the time you know it's the great thing is you're never you're never finished no matter how little how small an area you have you can always tip away at, at different things and trying different things and um yeah so look i i must say i enjoy it and uh hopefully it can something you can continue after rugby as well which is which is great yeah you mentioned the family roots behind it i mean were you was there a sports psychology reason that you were encouraged to go into it or did you kind of come to it and say this is going to be my no, look, my time I've always uh, I've always been tidy and liked things looking well and um, got into as I said I've always loved gardening and, and I love cooking and eating out the back and, and being outside and you know you know being out there at the weekend and, and you know having the place looking very well and, and having lunch out the back is uh, you know it's, it's a lovely thing to do and um, you know I've got got a fair bit of help along the way um, Stephen Forrest who looks after uh, used to look after Mosgrave Park and Thorne Park uh, he looks after a lot of the GA stuff now he, he's given me a good few tips on on the lawn to be fair to him um, so uh, that's it's it's getting there. It's not exactly where I want to be at yet, but it's it's certainly getting there. You have the very best expertise then. Exactly uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Parky Cueve was <laughs> was looking exceptional at the weekend on TV um, and live. I didn't get to the game now, but uh, he did a great job in there. From uh, obviously from when when it reopened to now, it's uh, it looks looks like an incredible job. And, and the World Cup is obviously looming large on the horizon, but next spring say is there anything that you'd like to put in there anything that's uh, on your on your long list <laughs> no there's a there's actually a plant I must my grandmother has given me from her house I must get it uh, transplanted it's a uh, an old Japanese maple acer that she was one of her friends gave to her a long time ago so she's she wants me to to put it in a pride of place spot in the garden so I have to wait till, till win- winter to move it so I'm looking forward to that yeah changing subjects completely I mean this, this season your performance has been pretty consistent all, all the way through it's been an excellent season I mean you came in for some criticism after the Six Nations though you may not even be aware of it but with people picking out certain numbers where, where they deemed you to be low I mean how do you go about what do you analyse in your own game when you're when you're assessing yourself when you're assessing your own performance we we analyse every aspect of our game Um, you know there's certainly plenty of critics out there um, experts and and to be honest the only people who really matter to me are are the guys who I play alongside uh, my coach and staff and you know once I can say that I did my family proud and, and I tried my hardest you know we'll, we'll analyse all the different little areas after that but um, as I said the, the people whose opinions that would matter the most to, uh, that would matter the most to me um, you know certainly aren't writing them on, online yeah in terms of the numbers is, is there any number at all like people pick out no tackles where ignoring all your ruck involvement say or is, like, is there any numbers or is it purely on the eye test where, where most of us can see that, that you're yeah, no, it's, in it's, involved it, there's no numbers to get to there's no numbers that you need to reach here or there to be to considered a good game if you've 10 involvements in a game and 8 of them aren't good you know you haven't had a good game whereas if you've had 6 involvements and 6 of them have been excellent huge turning points in a game if you have 50 involvements and 45 of them are good you know you've had a good game you know what I mean so it's about the quality of your involvements rather than a number I think mm. fast forwarding into something much more present I mean Leinster at the weekend um, you must be sick of the sight of them at this stage or, or sick of the sight of the, hearing them getting to getting the European finals last year's double I mean what is the perception of 
Leinster down in Munster. The 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 newfound one, the the modern one. Obviously, you know all the players well, but as a, as an entity, Leinster in itself. Yeah, look, they're standard setters, standard bearers. Um, you know, they've consistently been, if not the best, one of the best teams in Europe. Um, you know, over the past decade, pretty much, and um, you know that's exactly how we're how we perceive them. Um, you know, they've they're consistently performing uh, in the domestic league and the European league um, and you, you can't but admire it you know what I mean there's, there's no point in, in sitting here and, and claiming anything other than what I've just said um, so look you want to be playing this rugby this time of the year you want to be playing against the best teams in the competition and we'll be doing and exactly but those two things at the weekend you know playing one of the best teams in in the pro 14 playing one of the best teams in europe um and you know measuring yourself and, and seeing can you put in a good enough performance to beat one of the best teams in europe knowing what it feels like a week after losing the saracens i mean is there is there an in there for monster is there a chance to to capitalize on on leinster turning around there Look, i think leinster are too good a side to 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 be feeling sorry for themselves during the week um, they're a hugely proud team um, hugely success driven uh, you know want to win silverware and, and they'll certainly want to be putting the Pro 14 titles back to back you know that's what they'll be talking about and, and, and I've no doubt that they'll be hugely focused on, on beating us to begin Super stuff from Big Pete. Heineken will soon be launching a competition to win tickets to the Rugby World Cup. To find out more, sign up to heinekenrugbyclub.com now. Uh, listeners' questions. This is one um, which feeds into what we're going to be talking about next, which is Leinster versus Munster in the Pro 14 semi-final. Uh, McDonald Miles on Instagram asks, will Leinster be able to recover on time for this semi-final given the physicality of last week's game? Andy, you've... Uh, been in that situation a few times a week is a fairly short turnaround especially if we're talking about uh champions cup final which was the most physical club game we've seen this season and basically test level intensity yeah i i would say they i thought coming away on saturday evening they were gonna really really struggle this week just from just how physical that game was i i think maybe more physical at times than some some of the international games I've seen. It was yeah. so physically, and it was scary stuff. So I just thought, and then on the, the, I suppose, the downer of a loss and then the body feeling battered. But I am, um, there's a, so I thought maybe Munster would be favourites. That was on Saturday night. Myself by Monday, Tuesday, I, I looked at the game again and I thought Lance are going to be so annoyed at the opportunity slipping through their hands that I think they had. That I know sorry not not taken away from Sarri's playing well and, and deservedly winning. But I think Leinster will privately as a group be pretty filthy after after that performance. So I think that will actually tip them into the balance of being favourites, despite the physical um fatigue that they're gonna have. I, I'd say Lancaster might be very frustrated too, because he you know He's big on he's big on quality of execution. I think he's big on players being comfortable in chaos is the phrase he used. They didn't really create much chaos. I would say there's there's uh, I think there's a pushback gonna happen from Leinster this Saturday, despite the physical fatigue. What can Munster have learned from Leinster's performance at the weekend, Murray? Are there areas in which uh, Johan van Graan and Co can look to exploit based on that? Or can you nearly write that off given the calibre of opposition and just a couple of things going wrong as we've mentioned. Yeah, it is a very different game and, and Peter Manny was pretty honest there on Monday at the press conference saying basically Munster can't do some of the things that Saracens can do because they don't have the same um, players in their pack that no one else does really apart from England maybe. Um, so I think it is, a, it is a very different game. It is an interesting challenge though for Leinster coming off the back of defeat rather than the victory they had last year. Uh, in the Champions Cup final and the ability to change a couple of key positions I think every single Lancer player will be absolutely desperate to be involved I don't think Johnny Sexton would accept okay we're going to play Ross Byrne this game uh, give him an opportunity Joey Carberry played 15 obviously last year for, for Leinster which is kind of incredible to think that that's only a year ago it seems like mm. a longer time than that he's now got a new three year contract in Munster as well um, 
So there are all those interesting little elements of it. I do think Leinster will go full strength, though, because they're just desperate for a trophy. I don't think there's going to be any sense of, of easing up. This time of year, a lot of guys probably aren't training anyway, regardless of the game they played last weekend. They're trying to get through the week. Um, and I'd say it's been a strange week for Munster, to be honest, as well. If you're looking at it from that point of view, two of their assistant coaches are leaving at the end of the season. That's been confirmed. And as we discussed last weekend, it was a shock. Um, and I'd say that's left a little bit of a weird atmosphere almost mm. around early on the week. Um, guys kind of tiptoeing around that as well. So they both have their challenges, um, but that makes it all the more fascinating. It's going to be absolutely brilliant. And I'd say it'll be brutal again. Yeah, it's actually probably the most, um, on paper, the kind of tastiest Leinster Munster clash in a while. Like even last year, I think the fact that Leinster had, had uh, done what they'd done in Europe you almost got the impression that Pro 14 was going to be very secondary to them. Granted, they won the game anyway, but this time there are two seasons on the line. Like, it doesn't really get much bigger unless it was to happen in the Champions Cup. Um, where will the game be won and lost then? I'll ask you for your predictions uh, pretty much now rather than waiting till the end of the show because we want to talk about Glasgow and Ulster and also David Nusifor as well. Um, you're giving the advantage to Leinster, Andy. I think... Um I think so. I think they, where I think the difference will will result, I think Leinster do have the capacity to play a game, a broken field type game. They didn't, it didn't happen in the final. I think they have the capacity to be more creative, a bit more of a um, cutting edge. And I think that's where it'll, it'll come to fruition in, in terms of a squeezing out a result, a few couple of creative moments again going back to the creativity thing whereas I, do, I think Munster are really struggling with it, within that their, their attacking game both sides were, were blunted by Sarri's defence and their own poor execution both sides so but I do think Leinster have a greater capacity to be attacking and creative than Munster at the moment I think Munster is Munster are struggling with that whole side of their game and they have been for a while and I think um, you know it's it's got to ultimately it comes down to the coaching side of it and I think I think Leinster slightly have the upper hand there because um, you know we, Van Grand's history has been well he was co- I mean his mentor was Heineken Mayer you know so um, if he's your mentor in coaching and you're trying to you know you're trying to implement some kind of attacking template on the background of being mentored by Heineken Mayer, um, you're going to struggle, I would have thought. But uh, so, yeah, I think okay, all in all, I, I, despite the physical damage, in, you know, caused by last week, I think Leinster will prevail just about. Yeah, the interesting thing about the attack is that Joey Carberry and Keith Earls, it looks like, by all accounts, are going to be back this weekend. Mm. You think to the Saracens match, Munster created little or nothing really um, their try was a turnover from a scrum but those two guys being back does change that Carberry not to heap pressure on his shoulders but he is worth a line break or a line break assist at least per game because he's got that vision he's got that incredible footwork that if the game did break up was in that kind of chaos mode that's where he really thrives he, yeah. he loves that he, you know you think of his that big break he made for Ireland against um, Scotland against Scotland and that was when the ball bounced behind him, a poor pass, yeah, yeah. actually, as, yeah. as it happens. And he just, he accelerates, he uses his vision to see two forwards in front of him and he goes through and throws a beautiful pass. That's where he thrives. So I think he adds a lot. And Earl's it's just in the form of his life as well. I know they haven't played for a long, long time, both of them. Um, but if they're close to, to fully fit, then they'll add so much to it. Earl's coming off his wing has been a bit of a feature with Munster. They're trying to get that second playmaker aspect of their game mm. I don't think Mike Haley has really fitted in comfortably with that though they've pushed him to do that and you saw it against Saracens actually stepped in a couple of times and um, they'll add a lot to the attack just with their individual skill and sometimes that is I- enough to break down a team the interesting thing about Leinster was that they talk about being comfortable in chaos but I didn't think they were against Saracens we've mentioned the James Ryan example where they win mm. that kickback there was another one where Henshaw wins a, a really nice jackal turnover and halfway and it's a brilliant a brilliant chance to attack again. But Sean Cronin, with numbers outside, kind of wanders across the pitch and just carries into contact. Mm. And against Saracens, they get organised so quickly. Um, the, the obviously good example of the transition attack was when Larmer 
picked up the ball when Alex Goode got tackled by Luke McGrath, that scrum mm. in the first half. And he actually uses his footwork to beat Billy Vunapola, kick yeah. ahead, really clever kick to score. <clears throat> uh, and the ball just bounced a little bit low for him. He went for that same incredible pickup. I think he did it against Scarlet's la- at the end of last season where the ball was kicked ahead. Yeah. Um, and he scoops off the ground. Incredible <clears throat> skill. But um, I think they'll push themselves to be better in that area and certainly be more aware of the opportunities when the because it's so rare that game breaks up in, in, te- in test level rugby, which is what we're dealing with now. So yeah, and I think the, the the that's a really interesting point that you mentioned uh, Carberry's line break because it came from a, a pass that kind of bounced behind him. I did, Paul Turner was a Welsh out half in the eighties. Who uh, Tommy Turner? A lot of people don't know why he was called Tommy. His name is Paul Turner. But we kick uh, off both feet. He kick off, plays kick off both feet. He introduced like he used to head the ball over people. He used to knee the ball. Like there were referees who couldn't understand. Well, is that a, is that legal? Is it not legal? Um, but he had, a, he had a huge phrase about the bounce pass. Okay. Can, at the time I was playing with Queens, my left hand passing was weak, and would <laughs> more often than not would end up on the bouncing trying to get the it was Gavin Duffy at fullback oh, yeah. and I'd have my head down and he would come in and be like never underestimate the bounce pass and <laughs> it was a bit of tongue in cheek he was being positive I was obviously trying to get better at passing but his, his actual point was that it, you're constructing an environment of a little bit of chaos if the pass is perfect and the guy's running onto the line into the, a well-marshaled defence that everyone expects, he gets smashed. If it bounces all for a split second and it bounces God knows what direction, there's a sudden stoppage for a millisecond that gives guys like Carberry a gap that in a broken environment in rugby, we're not create, we're not constructing the breaks. I don't say do it by poor execution of a bounce pass, but chip kicks again, something to break up the game and create an environment of chaos and then you're talking about guys like Carberry, Earls, Larmer who in spades will eat up space and ground and rip teams to shreds but as long as we're very homogenised and uniform in our attacking approach both sides, Ireland, Munster, Lens the, ironically the what we might call the two weaker sides in Irish rugby are the two best at creating chaos on the field is Connacht and Ulster Yeah, you know? this is the kind of innovation we need from coaching Bounce passing and you're, but but it, like, it you know like what I mean. I mean, some people go that's, silly, that's, that's absolute rubbish. It's they not. will, but it's yeah, it, it's actually something that could work. You could have a I mean, move with a bounce pass, and because yeah. <laughs> if you're a defender and the ball bounces, your immediate reaction is just stop. Yeah. Stop where you are. <clears throat> Uh, or if the attacker stops, you often stop as well. <laughs> but it's even just the, the unpredictability of getting a ball in behind a defence that bounces, like the chip kick. Mm. Traditionally, coaches who spend all week, look, you know, we're, we're doing our analysis, we've spent, you know, there seems to be a some kind of, val- you know, merit or valour in doing a 19-hour video analysis week and well done, everyone taps yourself in the back and look, all right, we're so professional and we're so prepared and we're so didactic in her approach no one could possibly you know bore off like seriously it's a game of sport it's a sports game you've got to take risk and we're not doing it and we've got multiple players across all of our top sides when the game is broken up can capitalise but there's definitely a fear of breaking up the game because Mm. it looks like you didn't prepare yeah and that's one of the interesting things about rugby in general like the ball and play time is is shooting up and up and up and it's often kind of perceived as, oh, this is really positive. Look at all the ball in play. But mm. often a minute, a full minute of play will be one team spending 25 seconds setting up a, a box kick. The defenders are just standing still. Actually, yeah. if you watch Owen Farrell, he often just kind of walks back downfield because he knows there's a box kick definitely coming. Yeah, yeah. I can stroll off here. He's kind of almost standing with his hands folded, shouting at other guys to make tackles. The other team will receive. They'll spend 30, 40 seconds setting up a box kick, maybe a couple of carries before they do that. Um, and there's three or four minutes mm. of your ball in playtime. So it is this point, you're essentially getting uh, to the point where ball in playtime is actually almost like a set piece because yeah, everyone's yeah. got so much time to, to set up and organise, even if you're carrying around the corner. So yeah, mm. we do need more innovation in the game, definitely. there's Everyone's doing the same stuff really, aren't they? That's what's going to be interesting about the World Cup. Who can, or who has got something new, something innovative and, and different to, to break down what is defence now is more organised than ever and more oppressive than ever so we need some creative solutions mm. I'm going to have to push you for a prediction Murray <laughs> I'll go Munster for a, oh. bit of, for a bit of crack and I felt all I don't know I felt all season somehow not all season but the last few weeks that if Munster got into a semi-final and Lencer were coming off that physically damaging 
Champions Cup final, that Munster might edge it, especially with those two players back and a lot of desperation in the camp to to win a trophy. I'll go with Munster. Fair enough. Will they be joined or will Leinster be joined in the final by Ulster? Ironically, in Glasgow at Hampden Park. Um, it's a tough ask for Ulster, but we've sort of been in this position a few times now in the podcast and in Irish rugby generally over the last few months where we thought like this is probably just one step too far or uh, I remember discussing it'll be difficult how it'll be difficult for them to rediscover the emotional pitch of the quarterfinal against Leinster and yet they've kicked on since then so you couldn't really write them off despite how good Glasgow have been at home. Yeah and they have spoken about how they will and have taken massive confidence from that Leinster game when they Mm. went absolute toe-to-toe and and probably should have won. They let that slip. We, we don't need to talk about those incidents again. That was a real boost for the whole province, the whole squad, realising that the hard work they've done, both in terms of their S&C and in terms of the game plan that Dan McFarlane has pushed them to play at, it's all about speed. Interestingly enough, after that Connacht match, Darren Cave was talking about, oh, I've played my la- last match here, and he said, um, the best thing is that we play at speed now, and he says, I wish I was 25 again because mm. I'm just loving this. Everything is about tempo, challenging the defence, not allowing them to get into those set positions and waiting for a box kick. Um, and the players are really excited by it. So they're in a really good place with that. However, the opposition is always an important factor. And I think Glasgow, having almost petered out last year, I think they got it really wrong. Not sure what it was, but maybe it was the conditioning side of things. They just kind of had a, a bit of a downturn at the wrong time. It looks like they're actually coming up to a peak. Um, I think physically they're in really good shape. Stuart Hogg is playing some really good rugby. They've got a lot of um, playmaking ability across the team, but also a, a pretty brutal pack. They can maul, like it's not often you see any more maul tries from from five ten meters out. Mm. It's really difficult to score because people are defending them so well. But they're one of the teams who can do it as well as kind of those creative plays off the back of them also where they set you in with a dummy and then play around the back. Um, I think they have so many different weapons. Their kick returning mm. and turnover attack is the, is the best in the league, in my opinion. Um, so, though I think Ulster will be really competitive, um, I do think Glasgow, especially at home, have enough to edge it. And it's Ulster all the way, I think. Yeah? yeah? Uh, no, I... I uh, and I'm not just going against it for the crack. <laughs> I just That's think okay. uh, there like, are seminal moments in the... In in all teams that are successful, and I'm like the Munster had their moments with you know Raj missing the kick against Northampton in Twickenham, and are they ever going to win in Europe? I think that really helped shape their resolve. And then Leinster had their you know their win away in Toulouse when Felipe yeah. ran it from deep and Dennis Hickey ran seventy eighty meters and all those moments. But I think I think Ulster's moment could be that Leinster game whether it's Stockdale's knocking on but the knowledge that team gained knowledge that day in a full Aviva and a partisan Leinster field Aviva that they they're here to compete at the highest level they they outplayed Leinster in in a number of facets of the game that day and they they should have won and they know they should have won and while they can feed off the the pain that that is going to bring, I think they know that they have um, they have a lot more in the tank to give a very young side with a coach who is creative and has an imagination, uh, which is dangerous. And I think I would actually love to see them go and beat Glasgow because of the way. And Glasgow have been very creative over the years too. So I'd say quite an enticing game to watch. And um, I would I'm going to back Ulster. Interesting to see if Sockdale does play. They're, mm. They said they were hopeful this week. Um, he'll be massive. And interesting to see if he gets a try. He hasn't had mm. a chance to finish since that incident. So mm. he promised just to dot it straight down. Yeah. He's too tall. He just needs to dive. <laughs> Touch it down the five yeah. metre line and <laughs> yeah. overexcited. Um, uh, that'll be massive. If they're, if they're at full strength and him back would, would add hugely to them. Mm. Yep, should be an absolute cracker. Uh, just before we wrap up, Murray, you reported yesterday, was it, about David Nusifor signing a new four-year deal? Or was it two days ago, possibly? But yeah, in the last couple of days, days ago, anyway. Yeah. Um, let's just have a quick chat about that. Uh, we've discussed on the podcast before the influence he's had on Irish rugby. Certainly, Andy, you um, wouldn't see eye to eye with him on all issues. But if we could look ahead to the future now and what we might expect from him over the next few years and how he intends to shape things or how he might shape things. What are we talking about here? 
Yeah, well, I mean, the national team is everything. Their performance in this year's World Cup will be a, a big barometer of the work that he will feel he's done in the last few years to build depth. We've seen a bit more player movement. We've seen probably a, a stricter kind of ruling around f- foreign signings. They're, most of them now are, are pretty good quality. I know there have been still a couple of, that people question, but it's all been about building that depth since the last World Cup. That's been the major project. Um, I think there's been stuff that has been controversial. I think the women's team is 15 aside is in steady decline since their 2015 championship. They're now 10th in the world. They're not playing a game this summer. There's seems to be a level of discontent even within the group that it's not pushing forward a bit, a bit, a bit faster. Um, so that's one aspect. The AIL is another. There's some clubs who are quite open about their feeling that there's not. Um, there's just no, there's a disinterest maybe from the RFU in, in AIL and we need to fix that level of game as we've discussed before. Mm. One of the really interesting things that is coming, um, the, the talk is that New Sephora and the RFU are going to have, they've, they've always controlled the academies. They've always been in charge of them. It's their staff. The talk now is that that's going to be even greater with New Sephora, able to move players around at that level. So that will be something really interesting to see. Um you know, even younger players moving from their, their their native province to somewhere else to make sure that the national team pipeline is best served. I think that could cause massive friction mm. if that is the case. We've seen at, at senior level players being moved causing massive friction and certainly the relationship with Leinster um, and News 4 isn't at, at, its, at its strongest at the moment. There's <laughs> frustration there about some of the players they've lost and the Leinster perception that News 4 and the RFU have been in, involved in that. So there are friction points there and there are maybe questions but I think Ireland doing well at the World Cup justifies everything because that's his job essentially it's the kind of top level layer of his job there are obviously so many different areas but he'll feel that's that's the most important part but definitely keep an eye further down in the pipeline that development pathway he obviously wants to make it as smooth as it can be to, to get the best players through and as many of them from different places and no stockpiling no guys blocking each other but um, yeah, there could be a bit of dissatisfaction. Yeah, that's uh, you could certainly see difficulties in that concept, Andy, of moving guys around who are nineteen, twenty, mm. um, and you know, I suppose provinces losing talent, other provinces gaining talent. But just, I think a massive part of it as well is just the fact that some of them are so young, and you're kind of saying like, nah, you have to move up there, even if you're progressing quite <laughs> nicely at home, you know. Well. It- <clears throat> to me, there's there's some obvious challenges there, but in New Zealand they do it all the time and it's fine. And mm. because New Zealand respect their club game, international players go back and play for their club on their road back to injury. Then they go play MPC. Then they go play Super Fifteen. And there's, you know, we have we mentioned we've a bottleneck in Irish rugby. We've 120 places available roughly for professional players in a game that is outgrowing that there is such interest every kid in the street when I was growing up in Dublin every kid in the street wanted to play for the Dubs or Liverpool or United there was no one walking around in Leinster jerseys there was no one kicking rugby balls on the field like it's happening it might might have been always like that in Limerick it's happening now in Cork in Belfast in Galway there weren't 8,000 people showing up to Connacht to watch rugby matches Mm. so the game is growing beyond 120 professional contracts a year so you've got to be flexible I wonder will he look at a you know, a proper, respectful approach to integrating amateur club rugby into what is part of this. You know, if you've got 120 guys and you have 250 sitting idle and waiting and waiting for their chance and can't get any first team rugby, they got to move around provinces, they got to move around academies, or they got to play some rugby. Like you see these 19, 20 year old gym automatons who don't play any rugby anymore. They're all just super fit, frustrated young athletes who play about seven games a season. So, and then they, you know, they should go way off to Australia, South Africa, the Sun Wolves. But like, he has a he has a chance as the, as the, you know, the performance. performance director. I couldn't remember the term. He's a chance to have a legacy for for Irish rugby. Where in '95 we we were so smart, we centralised contracts. It had a huge effect on on rugby. But the game is evolving in popularity here, and we have this huge bottleneck. So we've got to give people chance to play rugby either within Ireland and maybe up in the club game, up in the um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? I suppose the relevance of amateur club rugby and feeding players through that and having a really, really competitive environment there or allowing them leave the country and not punishing them for it. And given, So we, we want the most talent available to us and I think that whole idea is becoming a bit redundant now with a, with a game that's growing hugely and competing with GAA at national level and so I think he's he's got big questions like that to consider that I'd love to see him being flexible about it. Yeah, the the AL point is really interesting. Um, Noel McNamara, the Ireland under-20s coach, was talking, actually Sean Farrell was, I think it was Sean, let me just double check. Yeah, it was Sean who was at the press conference the other day and talking about the squad. There's a couple of new faces in and one is Declan Adam, Adamson, the, the hooker from Tarf, who's been playing AL rugby and is now been brought into the extended squad before the under-20 yeah. World Rugby Championship and Noah McNamara was underlining the value of that kind of rugby. I think Adamson is actually going down to Connacht mm. Academy next yeah. He's earned his place into that pathway now, which is absolutely brilliant to see. Mm. You think of the prime example of AL rugby, Joey Carby played that final, but to see guys like him who will maybe not be in the Ireland squad in a year's time or two years' time, um, getting their opportunity from it is, is absolutely outstanding. Also, Carby is an interesting factor in this because one of the things like, that people will hold against news for is that oh yeah he's going to dilute the identity of provinces which is valid and we do have a really strong kind of parochialism here that's one of the things he certainly finds a challenge in Ireland is that yeah. we're Munster this player is Munster we're Leinster he's from Leinster he's not going any, anywhere else but Carby's a fine example of how well it can work out like we spoke to him on Monday and he just loves it in Munster he absolutely loves mm. it a, less than a year into his initial two-year contract he's extended mm. he's more than happy down there he's realized having been hesitant i remember the first day we he announced it it was the weirdest thing there was all the speculation mm. he comes in in carton house at an ireland camp and to be honest he looked like he was going to cry mm. he looked really emotional really unsure of this step that he was taking which is again understandable but a year on now he'll he'll look at that and go how did i wonder about this this is the best thing i've ever done for my career i'm the i'm the first choice out half in monster mm-hmm. i'm pushing johnny sexton we saw in tone park in december how sexton price season is a threat now so that's been a really positive move and i think new sephora himself will take um conviction from that um and it is positive that carberry's it's worked out so well for him so it's just an interesting kind of balance yeah. that identity that parochialism that sense of rugby we love but also being realistic about it yep it's going to be an interesting four years after the world cup for that is for sure uh andy thanks for coming in cheers you again. Nice cardigan by the way oh thanks very much i appreciate it always with the good cardigans well, it's, I'm, yeah we, i'm the trademark look you're blue you're gray. Uh, how do we get <laughs> you can get the cardigan memo today lads i'm going to wrap up if that's okay <laughs> murray thanks a million as always thank you uh, and thanks a million to you guys at home for all of your questions and for tuning in enjoy the Pro 14 semi-finals and until next Thursday take it easy